Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 18th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him, and as he could not pay, his lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves, who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their lord all that had taken place. Then his lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the gospel of the Lord. Divisions are not a new thing to the church. In our second reading today, St. Paul is addressing an issue in the congregation in first century Rome that today might seem silly, but at that time was huge. Paul is not ruthlessly attacking vegetarians in this passage. The issue is whether or not it's appropriate for Christians to eat meat that has been sacrificed to pagan gods. Some Christians believe that there is nothing wrong with eating meat that has been offered to an idol because they know that idols are worthless. For others, this is problematic and causes a stumbling block for their faith, and so they give up eating meat altogether. On this issue, the congregation in Rome is divided. Paul carefully explains to them that in some areas of faith, everybody is weak, and in some areas of faith, everybody is strong, but in the end, each person is accountable to Christ. He says each one of us will give an account of him or herself to God. In other words, if you have freedom in Christ to eat meat that was sacrificed to idols, great, go ahead and do that. But if you don't feel free to eat this kind of meat, you shouldn't judge those who do. Let us stop passing judgment on one another, he says. The point of this chapter, in summary then, is that God has welcomed both those who eat such meat and those who do not, and if God welcomes them both, so should you. Who are we to pass judgment? Have opinions, okay, but withhold judgment. On this, Paul is clear and firm. Today, almost 2,000 years after Paul, 
Gloria Day begins a conversation that is as challenging as the one the congregation in Rome encountered. I praise you for engaging the conversation on whether or not to become a reconciling in Christ congregation. First things first. To use the favorite Lutheran question, what does this mean? The Reconciling in Christ program is for congregations and synods, colleges, seminaries, and other Lutheran communities that publicly welcome lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people. The Reconciling in Christ roster now exceeds 740 settings in the United States. Lutheran campus ministry is a Reconciling in Christ community, thanks to the strong and compassionate leadership of my predecessor, Pastor Rob Dotzel. LCM is proud to boldly continue this identity. Whatever the issue, though, whether it be religious dietary restrictions in St. Paul's time or sexual orientation and identity in our time, to be church in the world means to engage the issues of our time. There is always potential for division, but division is not necessary, and that is why I rejoice for you and with you to journey down this path together with respect and love for one another as Paul encourages in his congregation in Rome. This conversation is a good thing because it reasserts Gloria Day's identity as a congregation that seeks to be relevant not only to God's world in general, but also to its particular community in this particular time. Kudos to you. I'd like to share a little bit with you today about my previous experience with this same conversation, about some of the prices paid, some of the victories won, some of the lessons learned. For 14 years, as many of you know, I served a two-point rural parish in a town of 350 people about an hour from here. During that time, our parish did our studies of the ELCA social statement on human sexuality. And so when our organist, who had served both congregations for many, many years, announced his engagement to his partner of 13 years, I was elated. I was convinced our parish was ready for this. Same-gender weddings at that time were legal in Iowa, and after all of our hard work, I was certain that our parish would rally around this couple and adapt our wedding policies to accommodate them. I could not have been more wrong. Overnight, it seemed, I went from being beloved to hated. My children, then five, six, and eight years old, lost friends. My house had rocks thrown at it. My tires were slashed. I received hate mail. One letter threatened my life. In the end, one congregation changed its wedding policy to accommodate the wedding. The other did not. The church was divided. The town was in an uproar. There were villains in this story. Many would still say today that I was the main one. Some publicly posted on social media that those people are not welcome in my church. Factions formed, secret ones, meeting in homes and machine sheds late at night. In church, I was called names I will never repeat. 
One council member quit because this is what happens when girls become pastors. That stings. That one still stings a little bit. At that time, I was living alone with my boys in the parsonage to which some angry parishioners had keys. I felt hunted and afraid for myself and my children. But the absolutely worst part was, as a preacher, I had always thought that the word of God was transformative. However, that seemed to not be the case. I spiraled into the deepest, most devastating faith crisis of my life, which I have only recently crawled out of, thanks to the astounding grace that I encounter and the students that I am blessed to work with every single day. The students that I work with stir hope in me where I had lost hope and coax life where there was only death. There were also heroes in this story, to be assured. I married the biggest one, literally (laughs) and metaphorically. Doug never missed a single sermon that I preached during that time. Those were the hardest sermons I've ever preached, where some parishioners caused disruptions by dropping hymnals or getting up, walking out, slamming the door. One parishioner held his offering check high in the air, and if I mentioned human sexuality, he would rip it in two and storm out. Every wedding, every funeral, every Sunday morning, no matter how late Doug came home from the restaurant, he would drive an hour to be with me as I preached. He was and is my rock and the only man who has ever come to my defense. As his own hometown turned against me, Doug stood by my side, and he never once wavered. Were it not for him and his strength, I would have left the ministry in 2013. Furthermore, Doug's parents, who are faithful members of the Missouri Synod Lutheran Church and my neighbors for those 14 years, came over and checked on me and the boys every single day. Not to talk about the issue, because we disagreed on that, but to check on me and the boys. Their kindness and support during that time kept me going, and they didn't even agree with what was going on. They are among the finest Christians I have ever encountered, and I am honored and blessed to call them my in-laws, even though we agree on very little. Like everybody, they have opinions, but they do not judge. Dwayne and Dorothy embody grace. Other heroes were the ones who attended the wedding itself. That gorgeous day in October, Wartburg Seminary turned out in droves, both faculty and students, to show their support. Every seat of every pew was filled in that beautiful country church, but not with the ones you would necessarily expect. Chad and Jason had lots of friends there, yes, but the heroes were the church ladies that came. Why were they heroes? Because... Their cars were parked in the parking lot, giving public testimony to their attendance in plain view of the many pickup trucks that drove by during the ceremony. The heroes were people like Janine Bushlow, who was parish secretary, whose patience and wisdom far surpassed my own. 
whose love for me and God's church and my kids were unwavering. The heroes were ladies like Arlene Green, mother of eight, grandmother of many, who had refused to convert to Catholicism in the 50s when she married her husband, Harold, who attended the wedding that day, carrying a toaster wrapped in beautiful gold paper. And she said, I'm not sure what I think about what's going on, but I do know I hate being alone since Harold died. And so I bought a toaster. (laughs) Because I figure everybody likes toast. Gay or straight, everybody likes toast. Gay or straight, everybody is deserving of a gift, whether that gift be a toaster from Arlene Green or the gift of grace from God. A week before the wedding, I remember that was the time when my anxiety and fear was at its highest. My oldest son, Christian, who was then eight years old, was taking a bath. His brothers were asleep. I was sitting on the floor right next to his bathtub, And he was asking me why some of his friends weren't allowed to play with him anymore. I'll never forget the conversation that followed. He cried and he said to me, Mom, can you make this all go away? I said to him, yes, I could make this go away. But here's the thing, I said to him, you might be gay, which made him very uncomfortable. He was in the bath and I was his mom sitting there right by him. I said, you might be gay. And if you are, I just don't care at all. It doesn't matter to me at all whom you love and who loves you. But if you are, our church has promised to be here for you. And so our church will be there for Chad and Jason. And he looked at me and he said, it's going to cost us everything. And I said, yes. And he said, we're going to have to move. And I said, yes. And that was that. The following July, we moved The day after Doug and I got married, with several members of that community standing on my front lawn with folded arms and angry faces, positioned directly in my path so that I had to go around them to pack, watching, not helping. Who turned out to help, though? Heroes, the funeral home guys, turned out to help. Doug Schultz and his crew, who had seen too much death to be judgmental of anything. My boys, like all pastor's kids, have seen church at its worst. But they've also seen church at its best. And let me assure you, we had plenty of best times there. So many wonderful years. So many grandmas who helped me with my boys. So many sacred and holy moments when God worked and the Spirit moved in those congregations. And that's the story of how we landed here in this place with you. But this is a different place than that place. And this is a different time. You are a different people. I'm a different pastor. I have rediscovered the reality that God's word is indeed transformative. I see proof of this all around me. I see hope in people, not in their unanimity, but in their concession. I cannot abide bullying of any kind in the name of religion, but I have fallen deeply in love with the art and practice of compromise. I see in you thoughtful and faithful contemplation. 
I see God's Holy Spirit working in the hearts of this congregation and the LCN community in ways that astonish me and leave me, me speechless. I often cry tears of wonder and gratitude at what God is doing in this messed up world. And alas, God's word is transformative in that it has transformed me and continually transforms you. And so my faith crisis is over, and new life begins, and we embrace this conversation because it's a good thing. So then this sermon is not about the proper Lutheran hermeneutic. It is not about the inspired versus inerrant interpretation of the Bible regarding human sexuality. This is not about issues or statements or policies. It's about people people who are created in God's image. And it's about the prevailing message of love and grace that comes from God, the message of grace that is embodied by Jesus Christ and is on the move in this world through the ongoing creative work of the Holy Spirit. It's not about judging those who eat meat or vegetables. It's not about judging those who are gay or lesbian. It's not about deciding who's in or who's out. It's about acknowledging the difference between an opinion and a judgment Opinions belong to free-willed, created people, and there's a time to speak them and a time not to speak them. But judgment belongs to Creator God alone. It is then before God that we all stand or fall, not before each other. Paul asks his beloved congregation in Rome, why do you pass judgment? Why do you despise your brother or sister? We all stand in judgment before God's seat of justice. Paul's questions are relevant today regarding the place of the LGBTQ community in this congregation. It has been a stunning journey for me to move from my former time to this time because I am confident that this congregation will engage this conversation with the love and the respect that it deserves, just as you discerned long ago that it was okay for pastors to divorce just like you discerned long ago that it was okay for pastors to be female. And guess what? You're looking at a divorced female pastor who knows the shame of being on the outside enough to be convinced that it is not the will of God for anyone to be on the outside, for God hates nothing that God has created, which is why Jesus Christ was crucified and died and cast into the outer darkness to gather up those whom society casts out and bring them in where it is warm and safe, where the evils and the prejudices of this world cannot harm, where every outstretched hand receives body and blood, where every forehead is washed in baptism, every earnest couple is welcome to approach the marriage altar, where every knee, gay or straight, bows in reverence to the one God who alone is creator and judge, and where every tongue, gay or straight, confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord of all people to the praise of his glorious grace. Amen.